This is a podcast from the Business Times. Singapore shares started the week on a positive note after US equities climbed last week on encouraging inflation data. The Straits Times index was up 0.6% at the open and closed 0.08% in the green at 3,374 points. On Tuesday, Singapore shares opened marginally higher as the global market continued trending in positive territory. The STI was up 0.1% at the open but ended flat, closing 0.01% down at 3,374 points. At the midweek, Singapore shares fell, tracking a global market retreat. The STI was down 0.6% at the open and ended in the red, down 1.5% to close at 3,325 points amid broad selling across the region, after rating agency Fitch downgraded the credit rating of the US. And on Thursday, Singapore shares continued to slide. The STI was down 0.2% at the open, closing 0.6% lower at 3,304 points. It's Friday, August 4th. Welcome to Market Focus, a weekly look at market drivers and movements from the Business Times. In for Clarissa Montero, I'm Janice Tan. Singapore shares opened in the red, down 0.2% to 3,296 points. Here's Candice Lee, market analyst at SGX Securities, with her overview of the trading week. In a week to date until Thursday evening, SDI was down 2% following the surprise downgrade of US sovereign rating by Fitch and the US Treasury announcing a slightly bigger than expected refunding plan. This saw US yields rise to levels last seen in November last year and a rotation out of most equity markets across Asia. As a result, losses were also seen across key Asian markets with both the Nikkei and Hang Seng Index down 2%. Overall, the FTSE APEC Index was also down 1.6% this week. Looking back in the Singapore market, top three outperformers for the week for companies with a market cap of at least $500 million were Neil, Yang Zijiang Financial Holdings and Emperado, averaging 4.4% gains. On the other hand, the least performing stocks for the week were Singtel, DFI Retail Group and Capitaland Escort Trust, averaging 7.1% declines. By sector, energy saw the greatest gains this week, averaging 1.6%, while telco saw the greatest declines, averaging 2.7%. In terms of institutional fund flows in the Singapore market across the last five sessions through to 2nd August, we observed net institutional fund outflows of $90 million. By sector, the highest net outflows over the last five sessions were seen across telcos at $53 million, REITs at $49 million and consumer non-cyclicals at $13 million. On the other hand, financial services received the most net institutional inflows at $57 million, reversing weeks of net outflows. This was followed by healthcare at 4 million and energy at 1.8 million. Singtel led the net insti outflows at 47 million Sing dollars, followed by SIA at 31 million and Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust at 15 million. On the other hand, OCBC led the net insti inflows at 54 million, followed by Yangzijiang Shipbuilding at 26 million and UOB at 12 million. For the more passive investors, ETFs continued to record higher turnover, increasing 10% week on week. The Spider STI ETF, Lying OCBC Securities Hang Seng Tech ETF and iShares USD Asia High Yield Bond ETF were the top three traded ETFs in the week. In particular, the STI ETF sought $40 million of turnover with net retail sale activities five times higher than purchases. Still to come, economic data and highlighted stocks of the week. Lens on Singapore a monthly podcast series from the Business Times podcast team on current affairs, 
societal issues and government policies explored through the lens of how it impacts us here in Singapore and in the region. Anchored by Clarissa Montero and Howie Lim, every third Monday of the month. And now, back to market focus from the Business Times. Candice, could you highlight the most notable news for the week, please? Mergenis, Singapore's Purchasing Managers Index reading inched up 0.1 point in July to 49.8, posting a slower contraction than the 49.7 reading in June. Now, according to the Singapore Institute of Purchasing and Materials Management, its slower contraction in new orders, new exports, factory output and employment indices led the improved PMI. Overall, ASEAN PMI remained above the 50-point threshold with four of the seven constituent economies reporting improvements. Indonesia led the PMI rankings within ASEAN with a 53.3 reading, which is the fastest rate of expansion for the country in 10 months. Similar to Singapore, PMI in Vietnam and Malaysia, while in contractionary territory, indicated softer declines in conditions. Based on separate surveys by the Economic Development Board, Singapore's manufacturers and services firms have become more positive about business conditions in the next six months. This marks the second straight quarter for which manufacturing sentiment is positive. In the manufacturing survey, a weighted 13% expected improved conditions ahead, up from 12% in the previous survey. This compares to 7% bracing for circumstances to worsen, down from 10% before. However, sentiments were mixed among the manufacturing clusters. Transport engineering remained the most optimistic, led by the aerospace segment, which expects sustained demand for aircraft maintenance, repair and overhaul jobs amid continued strong air travel demand. The Monetary Authority of Singapore is proposing a revised framework to ensure that all single-family offices come under anti-money laundering controls. This is done by introducing specific requirements through a harmonised class exemption for the sector. The proposed changes to the framework include the requirement that all single-family offices be incorporated in Singapore and that they report annually on the total assets managed at the end of each calendar year. These measures would enable MAS to better monitor single-family offices in Singapore and address money laundering risks in the sector. A new bill was discussed in Parliament this week that mandates landlords to abide by a list of leasing principles, including sticking to one rental formula and not pre-terminate leases. These principles range from landlords not being allowed to mark up electricity rates to not requiring a security deposit that exceeds three months' rent. The new bill, which was tabled by the Ministry of Trade and Industry in early July, sets out guidelines to enable fairer and more balanced lease negotiations between the landlords and tenants of retail premises. If passed, the legislation will take effect from January 2024 and apply to all retail leases with at least one year of tenure. The Singapore Governance and Transparency Index was released this week and rose from 70.6 points last year to 74.8 points in 2023. The proportion of companies disclosing stakeholder engagement practices increased the most. There was also a significant increase in disclosure rates for various board-related indicators. This covered a range of board characteristics and practices such as independence, competence and selection of directors. In terms of ESG disclosures, companies are also reporting quantitative data more frequently. Almost three-quarters of public-listed companies included non-financial performance indicators in their reporting, up from around half in 2022. Okay, Candice, on to the boss's favourite segment, our weekly game. I'm going to say the name of a stock. Let's see if you can give me an update on it. Since earnings season continues this week, this should be easy for you. Okay, let's do this, Janice. 
All right, let's start big with DBS. Sure, DBS posted a net profit of $2.6 billion for the second quarter, representing a 45% year-on-year increase from the $1.8 billion last year. Excluding one-off items, quarterly net profit would have been up 48% to a record $2.7 billion. This also beat Bloomberg's consensus estimate of $2.4 billion. Net interest income rose 54% year-on-year to $3.6 billion for the quarter, and net interest margin stood at 2.16%, up from 1.58% a year ago. Wealth management fees also rose 12% from higher insurance and investment product sales. The bank attributed the improved performance to higher interest rates and broad-based growth in non-interest income activities. Next one, let's stay with the banks. What do you have for OCBC? Well, OCBC reported this morning, second quarter net profit rose 34% to $1.71 billion, falling slightly short of the $1.77 billion forecast consensus across refinitive analysts, but still largely in line. Earnings were mainly driven by better income growth with higher interest rates, but partly offset by higher allowances. OCBC's net interest income rose 40% to $2.39 billion. It was driven by asset growth and a 55 basis point increase in its net interest margin to 2.26%. Non-interest income grew 11% to $1.07 billion, mainly from net gains from the sale of investment securities and higher profit from insurance. The bank also set aside more allowances for potential bad loans of $252 million, compared with $72 million a year ago and the $110 million in the first quarter. OCBC said the higher general allowances reflect changes in risk profiles of its loan portfolio and greater macroeconomic uncertainty. First two were easier. Let's try something more challenging. Cromwell European REIT. Hmm. Cromwell European REIT, where they secured a new five-year sustainability-linked revolving credit facility for an aggregate amount of 165 million euros. This latest facility has three sustainability-linked KPIs. This include improvements in the annual assessment done by the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, increase in the number of green building certifications achieved, and increase in the proportion of leases which include green clauses. The REIT has completed approximately €450 million Euros in sustainability-linked loan facilities over the last two years. How about CSE Global? CSE Global, they secured two new contracts worth a total of $86.4 million in the US and Singapore. The first contract is for the design and manufacturing of power distribution centres as well as the integration of complex electrical and control systems and equipments in the US. The second contract relates to a multi-year maintenance contract for the Singapore government in the infrastructure sector. These two major projects are expected to contribute positively to CSE Global's financial performance for the financial years 2023 to 2028. Candice, you're good at this. Okay, Capital and Escort Trust. Capitaland Escort Trust announced plans to acquire three lodging assets for $530.8 million from its sponsor. The acquisition is expected to increase its total distribution by $13.5 million and its distribution per staple security by 1.8% on a FY2022 pro forma basis. The trust launched a private placement and preferential offering to raise approximately $300 million to fund the acquisition. The placement, which was 2.7 times covered, saw its issue price come at a discount of 6.8% to its volume-weighted average price on 1st August. The preferential offering issue price also represented an 8.4% discount. Okay, okay, last one. OUE and OUE Commercial REIT. 
Sure, all right. OUE and OUE Commercial Read announced a $22 million asset enhancement initiative for Crown Plaza Changi Airport. The enhancements include the addition of 12 guest rooms, an extensive revamp of the all-day dining restaurant, and the creation of new and flexible meeting facilities. OUE Commercial Read expects the asset enhancement initiative to be DPU accretive. With the estimated capital expenditure of up to $14 million, it is expected to generate a stabilised return on investment of around 10%. Thanks to Candice Lee, Market Analyst at SGX Securities. This has been Market Focus from The Business Times. In for Clarissa Montero, I'm Janice Tan. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.